you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Colossians. Our text for the morning is Colossians chapter 3, the first 11 verses. If you're using your pew Bible, you'll find this text on page 201 of the New Testament. These are some words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and he has also written these words to us. So may the Spirit allow these words to transform us this day. Colossians chapter 3, I'll begin reading the first verse. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you once followed when you were living that life, but now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. God. And church, would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for gathering us into this place this day. We thank you for the presence of the living Christ with us. And we thank you for giving us the grace and the courage to come and present ourselves before you, asking that you continue your work of transformation in our lives. Continue your work of growing us up into the head, growing us up into the image, the full image of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you will speak your specific word to each one of us here in this place today. Let your written word become the living word of Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit, allow that word to change us. God, we thank you that you still speak to us this day. We thank you that we have the grace to respond appropriately. So God, we ask that you will give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us this day. We ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So we've been together now for over two years. I am into my third year with you here at Wesson Memorial Church. So I think what I'm getting ready to say you probably already realize. You probably know by this point that uh, I consider myself a very simple preacher. I hope I'm not simplistic, but I think I'm a simple preacher. If you are seeking a preacher that can be a storyteller like Garrison Keeler, it's not me. If you're seeking a preacher that can be a stand-up comedian like, um, I don't know any stand-up comedians, it's not me. I think I'm a very simple preacher, hopefully not simplistic, but simple. And I see myself, and you probably have already realized this, as primarily a Bible teacher. I still, every day of my life, stand in awe of the power of the Word of God to change lives. So I seek to honor my life and my ministry with the Word of God because I know that the Word of God is still yet changing lives. And as lives are changed, the world around us also will be changed. So I'm a very simple preacher. I'm not very creative. I'm, I'm so grateful for the written Word of God because I don't know what I'd be preaching if I didn't have the written Word of God in front of me. When we are ordained in our tradition, we are ordained to preach the faith of the church and none other. And I'm grateful for that also because Again, I'm not very creative. I can't make this stuff up week after week. So I'm glad that I'm part of that 2,000-year stream of preachers that have just proclaimed the Word of God. The text before us this morning here in Colossians is a powerful text. It is a text, at least the second part of the text, is a text that I probably would not have chosen. But I'm grateful that this is the epistle text appointed for this day. And because it's appointed for this day, that encourages me to deal with it. You heard me read it a few moments ago. It starts out in a very positive way, but then it gets rather dark as Paul lists the kinds of behavior from which we ought to turn in order to embrace the new life that is ours in Jesus Christ. In this text, Paul does begin speaking of the good news, he begins speaking about the good news that in Jesus Christ we have now a new reality. Our reality is a new reality. He begins to say here in this text that we have been risen with Christ, past tense. Did you notice that? We have been risen with Christ. Look at verse 1. It says, so if... And you can actually translate the Greek there, since. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We have been raised with Christ. We have received new life in Christ. That's what we receive when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. So this is our new reality. Paul is encouraging us here in this text to appropriate this new reality, to live into this new reality, to continue day after day walking away from the old reality. That's why in verse 2 he says, set your minds on things that are above, 
The word sit there, the word sit there in the Greek is a continuous imperative. And what that simply means is we ought to continue going on, setting our minds on the things that are above. Part of coming to Christ means that we are given, given the gift of the mind of Christ. And then we have to allow the mind of Christ to be made real in our lives. Here, the Apostle Paul is saying we have to get a new mindset. We have to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, notice the past tense, you have died. And your life is hidden or secure with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We don't even know really what we look like now. But when Christ returns, we will see each other in the glory this hour is because of Christ dwelling within us. But our task here and now is to go on creating a new mindset. You see, the Apostle Paul is convinced, and we see this in all of his writings, that our creed determines our deed. Throughout all of Paul's letters, we see that it is what we believe, it is how we program our minds that determines our behavior. If we learn to think differently, we will behave differently. If we learn to take on the mind of Christ and for the mind of Christ to control us, our behavior will change dramatically. That's why he says keep appropriating the gift that you have been given already in Christ. You have been raised with Christ, past tense. You were raised when you came to faith in Christ to new life. So continue setting your mind on the things that are of utmost importance to Jesus Christ. So he's saying we need to experience the new reality that is ours in Jesus Christ. And that's why in verse 5, the tenor of the text changes dramatically. In verse 5, Paul starts talking about what we need to put to death now that we have been raised with Christ. In verse 5, he begins talking about what it is we have to walk away from in order to embrace fullness of life in Jesus Christ. And whenever I see Paul doing this, and he does this in several of his letters, I'm reminded that Paul thinks, Paul knows, that we have the power to do this. We're not trapped by our behavior. Remember, it was Charles Wesley who wrote the anthem of Methodism, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And in that anthem, Charles says, He, Jesus, breaks the power of canceled sin. We not only receive pardon and forgiveness, but He breaks the power of canceled sin. The love of Christ, the love of Christ dispels fear, and the love of Christ dispels sin. That's basic to us as Wesleyan type. Christians. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Sin no longer has to have dominion over us. So that's why when Paul starts giving us these lists, as he is prone to do, Paul is giving us a great compliment. He's making sure that we understand we have the power because of the Spirit residing in us. We have the power because of the grace of God at work in us to change and to continue to the change. Or as we Methodists like to say to go on to perfection. We can grow up in the image of Christ. We can grow up 
and get closer day by day to the people that we were created to be. So in verse 5, he starts talking about what we have to put to death in order for us to truly live the life that's ours now in Jesus Christ. Notice the text. This is the part of the text my personality would pressure me to avoid if I could. But if we're going to be a people of, of grace and truth, Clark preached a powerful sermon at 945 on being a people of grace and truth, both. If we're going to be a people of grace and truth, we receive the grace that we hear about here in verses 1 through 4, but then we also have to pay attention to the truth that we find beginning at verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, and he believes we could do this, put to death, put to death whatever in you is earthly. Then again, as Paul is wont to do throughout much of his writing, he gives us a list, unless we perhaps don't understand what part of us is earthly. So he says, put to death, therefore, whatever is in, whatever in you is earthly, and he lists this, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Now, one of the fascinating things about this part of the text is these first four words, fornication, impurity, passion, and evil desire in the Greek, all have to do with sexual immorality. And these are just different ways for the Apostle Paul to talk about sexual immorality. Fornication, that sexual behavior outside the confines of marriage, and then impurity or passion or evil desires. Throughout the New Testament we see that sexual immorality is to be something that we flee. When you look at the history of the Christian movement and the history of the people of Judaism before us, the historians point out one thing that I think is very significant. When we look at the Jewish people in their writings and the Christian people in our writings, we notice that we bring no new ethical concept to the world except a different portrayal of love. They believed in love. We know more about love now because of Jesus Christ. But the most unique ethical behavior we bring to the world, because the Greco-Roman world, the Greeks and the Romans had no concept of this, is the encouragement to chastity. And throughout the Jewish writings, and throughout the Christian writings, we are encouraged over and over again to to, to flee sexual immorality and to embrace chastity, to embrace sexual purity, to live our lives sexually in regards to the, to the law of God, the mind of God that's been revealed to us and for us. Now, the Greco-Roman world had no concept of that. For them, sexual activity was recreation, and there really were no confines on their ability to to pursue that recreation. And that's why you keep seeing Paul having this issue with the people who are coming into the Christian faith from the Greco-Roman world because I'm sure Paul wished there was a delete, delete button on those people, but there wasn't. They came into the Christian faith with a lot of their behaviors and a lot of their attitudes and ideas. And Paul had to keep talking about chastity, flee sexual immorality. And that was a very new thing in the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day. By the way, it's not a very popular topic in our culture today. In a lot of ways, we reflect more the Greco-Roman world of the past than we reflect the world that the Christian faith created. So he says, 
put aside that which is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, all talking about sexual morality. And then notice the next thing he puts in the list, and greed. He could have talked about a whole lot of other things. Here he talks about greed. And what he says about greed is very convicting to me, and I suspect it is to you. He says almost parenthetically, greed, which is idolatry. I don't know that we think about greed. We know greed's not a good thing, but I don't know that we think about greed as a form of idolatry. Whatever becomes the center of our lives, whatever determines the bulk of our behavior, is an idol. The only thing or person that should occupy that space is Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, I think one of the reasons the Christian community continues to practice the tithe, giving 10% of what God has given to us, is to break the power of wealth or finances or resources in our lives. You know, it's amazing. God says, give me the 10% for my purpose in the world. God at the same time is saying, but you get to keep 90% for whatever you choose to do. But even whatever you choose to do continues to need to be that which glorifies God. So in some ways, tithing is like fasting. Fasting will break the power of our sensual nature, our physical concerns. Fasting will do that. Tithing will help us break the power of finances in our lives and help us to bring it into an ordered way, making sure all of our loves are ordered appropriately as we seek to follow Christ. So Paul gives us this little list, and then in verse 6 he says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. Well, if you think preaching on chastity is unpopular today, preaching on the wrath of God is really unpopular these days. We want a God that just has a soft side. We want a God that gives us grace, but we want that grace to just be a, a way of God letting us off the hook and being permissive with us. But all true love, and we know this because we know about the relationships in our lives, all true love has a soft side and a hard side, a soft side and a firm side. Sometimes if we love someone, we have to do what is best for that person, even though it might really irritate that person. I knew when my children were teenagers that one of my primary jobs at that stage in their development was I needed to I needed to make them really unhappy with me a lot of times. True love has to have the soft side and the hard side. And that's the way God is. There's the soft side, but there's the hard side. He loves us too much to just ignore some of our chosen behaviors or attitudes. So Paul says, you do these things and you may experience the wrath of God. Verse 7, these are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. Paul is assuming you have moved away from all this stuff now. He's saying, but you must get rid of all such things. Again, we have the power to do that, Paul says. We won't do it perfectly, but we need to do it a little bit better every day. We have the power to get rid of these things. And here it comes again. Here comes, here comes another one of Paul's list. He says, get rid of such things, anger, wrath. You can actually translate the Greek word wrath, therefore, as, as rage. 
Get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Anger, rage. Church, can we talk for a few moments? I, I have major concerns, as I'm sure you do also, that so many people in our contemporary culture, particularly here in the United States, are filled with anger and rage. You know, just in recent years, we've, we had to invent the phrase road rage for what happens on our roads occasionally, far too often. It really concerns me that so many of our people in this society are so filled with anger and rage. Don't know all the reasons for that. That's another topic for another sermon on another day. But I think you would consent, along with me, that way too many people in this society is filled with anger and rage. Last night I had a hard time going to sleep after listening to what happened in El Paso and all the people killed who were just there doing their back-to-school shopping at the Walmart. Had a hard time going to sleep, so by about 1 o'clock, and maybe you can relate this, by about 1 o'clock I got tired of trying to go to sleep, so I got up and went back to my study. And as I was praying over my message for this morning, there it came across social media again, another shooting, this time in Dayton, Ohio and multiple people killed. And what the, what the Lord gave me last night as I was thinking about what we're living with in this society is this. I very distinctively heard the voice of the Spirit say, say to me, we are a culture here in the United States right now with a sickness unto death. And if we don't do something about this, it will be death. I, I relate it to the way I see the, the decline, the massive decline of morality and standards in the Roman world that preceded the fall of the Roman civilization back in the 5th and 6th centuries. There's a sickness unto death when I look at all the anger and rage in this culture. You know, it still amazes me, and about once a week, someone will come to me, knowing my love for Israel, knowing how often I go to Israel, getting ready to take another group, about 96 people, including 40 people from here, back to Israel in, in February. And I have people who say to me, and it always shocks me, do you feel safe there? And I want to say, do you not understand? We right now are living in the most dangerous society of any first world country, and really any third world country. What is going on in the United States is unprecedented around the world. God has graced me and Tammy with the, the ability and the gift of doing a lot of travel outside this country. I haven't done a lot of travel in this country, actually. I tell Tame I'll do that when I retire. But right now, I've still got the energy. I'm doing a lot of travel outside this country. And everywhere I go, everywhere we go, people ask me, what is going on in the United States? You know, some of these other countries, like Israel perhaps, there are, there's, there's occasions of political violence. And most of the time, we can even understand the political violence, why it happens. 
It's not that much of it compared to the violence here. The, the, the chances of you and me being a victim of violence in the United States of America is perhaps higher than just about anywhere else in the world. And it's just violence that doesn't make sense. It's not like the political violence we see in other places um, that still doesn't um, kill as many people as our violence here in the United States kills us. I'm amazed, I'm becoming more and more amazed that my friends in Israel, these other places that I visit, are still coming here. I don't know why they aren't so frightened when they hear the news coming out of the United States that they keep coming here. We need to pray and work fervently for revival in this country because we have a sickness unto death. We need to do something to stem the tide of the growth of a post-Christian culture here in the United States and pray that God will so renew us that we might be able to renew the face of the earth, and that includes the United States of America. So Paul makes a list here. Things that we can get rid of, we have the power to do it. Anger, rage, malice. And then he starts turning to the sins of the mouth. The Bible does this frequently. He starts talking then about slander and abusive language from your mouth. Abusive language. It's an interesting phrase in the Greek. The old King James translates it filthy language. It's dirty language. The New Revised Standard Version decides to translate it abusive language. It is language that we use with each other that tears each other down. Last week I spoke at length about how particularly we Christians believe in the power of words. We know that words create worlds. We should know that. We know that God spoke creation into existence in Genesis 1 and 2. We know that Jesus is the word of God made flesh dwelling among us. We know that God so loves us that God revealed God helped us and gave us the written word so that we can grow in grace and truth. We know the power of words. And just like I said last week, I, I, I'm afraid we're so inundated with words in this culture. We're forgetting the power of words. For all of us, every one of us should model how to use words that encourage, how to use words that build up other people and not participate in what Paul calls abusive language. We love each other. Let me say something. I, I pray daily for our president as I pray for all leaders. I hope you do too. We're commanded to do that in the Bible. I pray for our president, this is the Christian tradition, using his Christian name, Donald. Every day, I pray for Donald. I pray that Donald and everyone else who leads in this land will be an example in many different ways, but particularly in their use of words. We need to make sure that each one of us are using the mouth. The Bible says so much about the power of the mouth. We need to be careful about using our words to make sure that we're speaking life into this culture, not speaking death into this culture. Speaking words that build people up, speaking words that encourage people, speaking words that acknowledge the image of God in each other. We're, we're at a place I think we really are 
beset with a sickness unto death in this culture. And the world around is watching us. And we need to pray and act and serve in such a way that God can renew this culture. Every time I see one of these lists in Paul, it convicts me. And Paul loved these lists, by the way. They're all over the New Testament where he lists the things, the behavior from which we can walk away. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, Paul says, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Again, this is the gift. We've been given the image of Christ, new life in Christ. It's our new reality, and we can live into this new reality, but in order for us to live into this new reality, we have to daily have a funeral for some parts of our lives that we need to put to death, as Paul says here. And then he gives us a remarkable sentence in verse 11, the last sentence. In that renewal, the renewal of you and me, and the renewal that God will use and do through us of creation, in that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, that's a racial barrier, no longer circumcised and uncircumcised, that's a religious barrier, no longer barbarian or Scythian, that's a cultural barrier, no longer slave or free, that's a social barrier, in case you didn't know the history there. And he concludes by saying, but Christ is all and in all. We need to be the people who show this world what it means for someone to live with Christ having preeminence in our life. That's what the whole book of Colossians is about. Christ who is God in the flesh. Christ in whom the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell should have preeminence in our lives. Above all else, Christ should have preeminence. And I think we, we know what Christ desires of us. And Paul is saying here that we have the power, the grace, the gift of the Spirit to grow up, to grow up in the image of Christ. We, we're all on a journey. We're not there yet. That's why we need to be patient and encouraging with, with each other. We're not there yet. Every day, hopefully, we're, we're putting more of our old selves to death and picking up more of our new selves in Christ. We need to make sure that we understand what our list is. And I don't need to help you understand your list. You know your list as well as I know my list of those things that we need to put to death in order for us to be free, to be the people of Jesus Christ. In a few moments, we'll come to this table. And part of what we believe as being part of the historic church is we come to this table not just to remember the past. We come to this table to receive Jesus Christ again. We come and participate in the body and blood of Christ because we're receiving Christ. We're receiving Christ into our lives so that we can live differently. I think too many of us here in the West, too many of us Christians in the West, we have been consumed with a spirit of passivity. Let me explain that. It's really an issue in the American church. The ancients had a word, acedia, that was sort of a spirit of passivity. It's a spirit of apathy. Uh, it actually be 
becomes one of the seven deadly sins. And it usually gets translated slothfulness or laziness. One of the seven deadly sins, acedia. Let me make sure we understand what the ancients meant by this term. This spirit of passivity, John, of, John Cashin said it was the noonday demon. This spirit of passivity was not just laziness, generally speaking, though we're all opposed to that. It was not just laziness, generally speaking, but it was a spiritual apathy. Noonday demon, the hottest part of the day, we're tired. It's this noonday demon when we decide that we just don't have the energy to fight or to struggle anymore. And we just accept, we just accept life as we know it. Paul here in this text has paid us a great compliment. We can put some things to death. I hope that all of us leave some of those things here at this altar today as we meet Jesus again around this table. Amen.